On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first-hand perspective on 9-11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, continuing our 9-11 series here today, we're going to be joined by Kim Campbell. Kim Casey Campbell has served in the Air Force for 24 years as a fighter pilot and senior military leader. She has flown 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, including more than 100 combat missions protecting troops on the ground in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Thank you for that, incidentally. Uh, she is a distinguished graduate from the United States Air Force Academy, has an MBA from the University of London, and an MA in International Security Studies from the University of Reading in England. She also served as military assistant to the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, advising the number three official in the Office of the Secretary of Defense on national security and defense policy form formulation. She was the Air Force Senior Fellow at the Atlantic Council and most recently served as a director at the Center for Character and Leadership Development at the United States Air Force Academy. In 2003, Kim was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross after successfully recovering her battle damaged airplane after an intense close air support mission in Baghdad. And you can see part of that plane on the wall behind her. So I hope you're going to hear all about that. Uh, she's married to Scott Campbell and has two sons. So Kim, thank you very much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, we are continuing on with our uh, sort of our 9-11 stories. And while some of them have been actually 9-11 in uh you know, limited in scope to New York and, and Washington, D.C. and everything else. Talk to us about your 9-11 story carrying over from 9-11 well into the global war on terror. Yeah, absolutely. My 9-11 um, story um, starts when I was in A-10 training. And so on the morning of September 11th, I was actually in crew rest sleeping because we were getting ready to fly a night mission. And I remember hearing the phone ring and, and knowing that it was going to violate my crew rest if I picked up the phone and answered it, but it kept ringing and ringing. And so I finally picked it up and it was one of my classmates. And he said, Kim, turn on the TV. And my first thought is, what are you doing? You're waking me up and then, you know, and I'm going to not be able to fly tonight. And he said, no, turn on the TV. And I turn on the TV. And uh, this was after the first tower had been hit and then watch the second tower come hit, get hit. And I think once the second one got hit for me, it was this realization that really life as we knew it had changed for me as an Air Force officer, as an A-10 pilot. And I think we all knew, you know, we were under attack, we were likely going to war. And all I could think about was, I'm still in training, you know, I hope I'm going to be ready and able to go because nobody, nobody wants a war. But in that moment when, you know, America is under attack, I wanted to do my part. I wanted to do my part and be there for our troops on the ground. And so it was just kind of this um, moment where I think I knew that things were going to change um, pretty rapidly. And so I, uh, we all piled into the main briefing room, you know, the base was under lockdown and we really just started talking about what was happening, happening and, and what we might go do uh, to respond. Um, I finished up A-10 training 
a few months later, uh, reported to the 75th Fighter Squadron at Pope Air Force Base um, at the end of 2001, and then very quickly deployed to Afghanistan in 2002. Yeah, so, I mean, if you went in Afghanistan in 2002, it was pretty early. Where were you guys operating out of, and what was kind of your, your op tempo when you were there? We started in Kuwait as part of Operation Southern Watch, uh, and as as really Anaconda kicked off, Operation Anaconda, and there was a, a need for close air support, they started moving A-10s into Afghanistan into theater. And so um, we knew there was this possibility that we could go. So we started in Kuwait, and then they slowly started moving more and more plane, airplanes forward. And we were stationed out of Bagram Air Base mm -hmm. um, in Afghanistan, and we would rotate out. So we'd spend about a month or two there supporting um, troops on the ground, doing close air support missions. Uh, and then we would ro rotate back to Kuwait. And so uh, we were really excited to be there, just to be there on the ground in very austere conditions. Uh, we were in very close proximity to um, really our army brothers that we were supporting at the time. Um, and it was, it was a great opportunity to really connect and know what was going on in the missions and know that we were you know, there to support and to do what we were trained to do. Did you rotate back through Bagram later on? I've been to, to Bagram, I think, uh, four times, and so I've seen it evolve from. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't <laughs> wasn't very austere by the time you actually. They had a Bennigan's in uh, Dairy Queen. That's yeah, that's crazy. It was um, it was MREs. It was you know right. the open air flapping tents and um, very different. Um, yeah. I kind of preferred that <laughs> honestly. It was just a a great mission, a great time to be there um, because we were really committed and knew exactly what we were there to go do. Yeah. And so then you did move on from Afghanistan. You went to Iraq and tell us a little bit about that and, and the piece of a plane we have behind you. Yeah. So we got back from Afghanistan and, and very quickly things, you know, the, the rhetoric started about going to war in Iraq and um, as usual, the squadron that I was in, the 75th Fighter Squadron, we didn't want to be left behind. I mean, we wanted to be part of that. And uh, we deployed in February of 2003 and arrived in Kuwait again on the 1st of March, 2003. So we were there for a, a few weeks before the war kicked off and just really trying to prep for the mission, make sure we were ready. And at the time, I, I mean, I was a fairly young wingman, new, new to the A-10 community. And so I didn't know if I was going to be able to I wasn't sure if they were just going to keep me for mission planning, but I really wanted to get in the air and, and to, to be part of that mission. And it turns out we needed every pilot we had. In fact, we brought more pilots over just because as the close air support missions began and then really kicked off, you know, we supported the army and occasionally the Marines as there was this multi approach to Baghdad. Um, and it was it was really eye-opening to watch it all from the air and just see these huge lines of dust um, watching um, as our ground forces made their way to Baghdad. And, um, and when they faced resistance, we were there. And um, as we got closer and closer to Baghdad is really when we started seeing more of the, the threat from the ground as well. Um, and there was definitely more closer support missions where there was a troops in contact, where our troops were taking effective fire. And then we had multiple airplanes being engaged with surface to air um, missiles, artillery, you name it. Uh, as we got closer to Baghdad, uh, we could really see 
um, what we called the super mes, the missile engagement zone, the threat picked up for us significantly. So on the day your plane was hit, you had finished the close air support at that point, right? Well, we had gone up to Baghdad. By then, um, everyone is closing in on Baghdad. And the situation really just was dynamic and intense. And so they just had aircraft stacked up around Baghdad. So you would go up to Baghdad, you would air refuel, get gas, so you're fully ready to go. And then they would just put you in these stacks all the way around Baghdad so that when someone did make the call that they needed support, we would be right there. And on this day, so this was April 7, 2003, the Baghdad was covered in clouds and we just, we couldn't see the ground below. We didn't think we were gonna be very effective. And then we got a call for troops in contact and it was just, we knew we had to do whatever we could to get down below the weather to help our guys out. And I remember we, we went right over the top of the target area, just hoping that we would see a hole in the clouds. And my flight lead says, I see one. And he just, he dove down through and just disappeared. Um, and then he said, all right, Casey, it's your turn. You know, you can find a hole in the clouds. As soon as you see it, come on down through the weather. And I remember popping out below those clouds and it was, it was surreal. I mean, for the most part, we stay at, you know, a medium altitude where we don't really see some of the things in great detail that happen on the ground. And at the time, our technology in the A-10 wasn't what it is now. But I remember popping out below the weather and I could see this firefight happening back and forth across the river. I mean, I could see tracers and flashes and smoke. Uh, and I just remember thinking we have to get in there as quickly as we can. And then right about that time, I start to see like puffs of smoke and flashes right next to my cockpit. And that's when I realized, you know, not only is there this firefight happening back and forth across the river, but it, they're shooting at us too. And so we just, we knew we had to get in there quickly. My flight lead started his attack and I rolled in right behind him. Uh, we ended up doing about two passes. We knew that based on the intensity of the situation, we needed to do just a couple passes and then climb up and get our energy back, kind of reassess. And so as I was coming off on my last pass, I just felt and heard this huge explosion at the back of the airplane. And there was no doubt in my mind. I mean, I knew I had been hit, the airplane nosed over and I could just see Baghdad getting closer. I remember instinctively just pulling back on the, the control stick and, and nothing happened. I mean, it just continued to dive towards Baghdad. And so in that moment, I knew I had to quickly try to figure out what was going on. Um, I remember looking down at my ejection handles and thinking about the last thing I wanna do right now is pull those handles and then ride a parachute down into central Baghdad where we had just been strafing the enemy. Just didn't think that would go very well for me. And so in that time, I quickly tried to figure out what was going on. I had lots of lights flashing and airplanes not responding. And I could see my hydraulic lights and hydraulic gauges and hydraulics are what we use to fly our airplanes and they were at zero. And so at that point I knew I really had one option other than ejecting and that was to switch into our backup emergency mode called manual reversion. And flip the switch and the airplane just started climbing away from the ground as exactly like it was supposed to, exactly the way it was designed. Um, and I think for me, that was the first moment I thought I could get out of there alive, um, that I could that I that I could potentially recover and make it home. There you go.
All right. Well, I won't uh, rob all the time here. I know Ashley is very eager to, to get in this fight, as it were. So, Ashley, you are up. All righty. I, gosh, I just visualizing just the intensity of that moment and that decision making. And it just, for all of our, our service members out there, it's like we train, we train, we train. And then we have to take like this deep breath and then we just react and we make these decisions. Yeah. And Kim, you're just describing that. I'm like, you have two options. You're like, well, this is it. Um, but you know, you know, I, I think that a lot of that comes down to, you know, your training, your leadership development. And I saw that you've recently served as the director for the center of character and leadership development at the air force Academy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I, that moment for me, I'm actually really thankful it happened early in my career that I, you know, it's, you don't want those kind of things to happen, but it really was life-changing and life-altering for me because when I saw that in a moment of fear, um, because I think we all feel fear in those moments, even fighter pilots who think they're tough and invincible, um, but I was terrified, but I didn't think about it at the time. I mean, I just, I had to react and it's all that training and preparation. And so I think, you know, what I've learned and what I've tried to instill in our cadets at the Air Force Academy is that all those things that you do, whether it's basic training or, you know, survival training, all the different things that we do that are hard, it helps us get better at doing hard things in the future. All that preparation, all that stress, it puts us in a, in a you know, to have the training that in that moment when everything goes wrong, that you can just respond. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. You just take action. And so I really tried to do that during my time at the academy is to share with cadets. I mean, I think it's hard when you're younger to put things in perspective of why do you have to do all these things? And it's just painful and hard and stressful. And why do we really have to do it? And I think all those things that I have done leading up to that moment really prepared me so that I could take action. I mean, I, I didn't have time to ask for help. I mean, I, I didn't have time to open a checklist. I just had to react. And so I think that's the important thing with that training is that hard things make you better at doing hard things. Absolutely. And I, I also saw, you know, you've, you've had, a, I mean, you were the, the number three official, you know, advising, you know, the office of secretary of defense on national security and defense policy formulation. How do you think, you know, again, like you've described these, you know, experiences that you've had, how did they help prepare you for that stepping stone in from your education transition, and then also like still in service career. Yeah, that was a pretty exciting job. I was working for Miss Christine Wormuth at the time, who was the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. Now she's the Secretary of the Army. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, it was pretty impressive to work for her and just to see one, how much she cared about our men and women in uniform. And then because she's a senior civilian, because you know we have civilian control of the military it was really interesting for me to see things at that perspective. I had spent my entire career at this tactical and operational level. And so to th see things at that strategic level and how they work and just from a personal perspective from her to see how much she cared, how much she valued and trusted my opinion on big issues that I occasionally wasn't even sure, you know, I was prepared to respond for, but just gave her my perspective and my opinion based on my experience. And she really took that in and listened and valued it to hear it directly from someone who had been through conflict and been in combat 
Um, and so that was an incredible experience. I really valued my time with her. And as much as I wish she would have been the secretary of the Air Force, I'm, I'm happy that she's the secretary of the Army as well. I was, I was pretty excited when I saw that uh, she was nominated. I was like, oh my gosh. I remember sharing her information and people were like, what? She was looking real fly getting out of the SUV. She's like, I'm here for day one. Let's, let's make it happen. And I was just like, a fangirl, she's, total fangirl moment for me, but you know. Yeah, she's incredibly talented, um, incredibly smart, um, and just, you know, a very critical thinker, comes up with new ideas and creative thoughts. Um, and the thing for me that I, that I really enjoyed working with her, um, I almost turned down the job at first um, because I have, at the time, had two fairly young kids. My husband was deployed uh, to Afghanistan for the year, um, but she said, look, we'll make it work. I've got you know, two girls of my own um, who were in high school at the time and she was very supportive of that. And so uh, we made it work. Um, and it, that was really for me the first time that I had worked for a woman in a, in a higher position that really set the example for me. I love it. I love it. Women empowering women, understanding you know, life's situations and just making it happen. Yeah. All, my, all my lady vets out there, all the folks that support us, we know what's up, right? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, I'll toss it over to Jeff. Yeah, I don't have a lady that uh, example to give you. So I'm going to jump okay. into, you, uh, I read your wiki as well. So I, I wanted to zone in on two very unique accomplishments for you, Colonel. It's, you're, still, you're Colonel, correct? I am. I actually, I'm, on, I'm currently on terminal leave and I retire on the 1st of August. So I've oh. got- Two days as of today. All right, landing that career ably. So that's the the first accomplishment. You talked about your the the artifact that's on your wall and the in, from that from that aircraft. And I did read it's not in your bio because you're being a little humble, but it, it says you're the only human being that's ever landed that aircraft on manual. Is that is that a true story? That is not a true story. Uh, there Wait, were three. Wikipedia is not correct. I know. I, I'm not huh. responsible for that one. <laughs> uh, there were three attempts at landing uh, an A-10 in manual reversion during De Desert Storm. And unfortunately, um, we lost a pilot on the first attempt. Uh, we lost an airplane on the second one. And thankfully, the pilot uh, survived. And then the third attempt, um, one of the pilots uh, successfully landed it. So. I was the second uh, to successfully land it um, in manual reversion. But I will tell you, and this is why I think stories are so important, is that I knew about those stories from Desert Storm. We had talked about them. You know, we share war stories all the time. I've read books on uh, the A-10 and Desert Storm. Uh, and I was thankful because those pilots shared the stories. They shared about flying in manual reversion and how hard it was. I think those stories helped me get home safely because I knew about the, the guys that had come before me. I knew about their lessons. Um, and so, no, I wasn't the first and I'm incredibly thankful for the, the people that came before me that taught us how to do it. Um, even through failure and mistakes, we learned and were better for it, which is also my goal now is to train, you know, the young upcoming A-10 pilots. And I spent time at our A-10 training talking about what to do if you get hit and have battle damage and, and, we've changed the way we train because of it. Um, so no, long answer to your short question. Well, I wasn't... you know, interesting, um, you did not ruin my point. You've added a new, a nuanced twist to it. So you were the second 
person to, which is still a rare company, to successfully land uh, that, that aircraft. You're also the second person in your family to graduate at the top of your class at the Air Force Academy. Who is the other, who is the other person? My dad is a graduate uh, of the Air Force Academy from the class of 1970. And uh, he had some, you know, I had some big shoes to fill following him as he was the cadet wing commander in charge of all the 4,000 member cadet wing. Uh, and then he graduated number one in the military order of merit, which was, um, it's, a, it's a cool connection. My dad has always been my role model, my hero. I look up to him. I, I go to him for advice. And so um, and that, it's been fun. And that, that uh, title he had was what? Cadet? Cadet Wing Commander. So at the Air Force Academy, there is a cadet each semester that is in charge of the other cadets. So in charge of all 4,000 cadets. And uh, that was kind of a big deal for him, right? Yeah, it's a unique experience. There's nothing he, like being in charge of your peers. And he, pa he passed that down. You were, that was the same title that you had. You're, yes. You're, he, uh, awfully you're awfully humble. If I had done something like that, I would have led with that, to be honest with you. <laughs> My first name would no longer be Jeff. It would have been, you know, Cadet command wing commander so you have this life and you, you have this life where you go and you're doing things that typical people don't do and I mean we've we've interviewed a lot of people here and people have done a lot of things and it but it's I don't like just even those two things and it's interesting that you were questioning when you were a, a young boot loot that you know you didn't know if you were ready I, I it feels like it was like you were born to be ready. Do you ever, do you ever feel like, you know, they say you pass things on from generation, I mean, your hair color, like your height, whatever. But did, do you think like this, this innate service and, and uh, excellence was passed down in generation and. I, I, yeah, in some way. Yes. I mean, the, the idea of service, certainly, you know, my dad served in the military. He served in politics. My mom was an oncology nurse. And so she served in that way. And so I think that idea and that commitment of service is something that I did see from my parents. Did I feel like I was born to do it? Uh, from a personal perspective, it was something that I really wanted to go after. But my first attempt at getting into the Air Force Academy did not go so well. And I, I got rejected from the Academy when I applied. And so it kind of makes you rethink, you know, when you face that rejection and failure, it kind of makes you rethink a little bit. Like, am I good enough to do this? Like, am I, is this really what I'm meant to do? Um, it turns out I didn't want to take no for an answer. And so I kept after it and, and was able to get accepted. But there have been moments like that throughout my career that, you know, things can be going fine. And then all of a sudden you face a little setback and it kind of makes you rethink a little bit. I struggled um, a little bit at pilot training with air sickness of all things uh, and, uh, you know, had a few rides that did not go well. And I think, you know, you just, it's really about how you turn those moments. You know, do you wallow in the failure? Now, don't get me wrong. I felt sorry for myself and, you know, was upset and angry when these things happened. But like after that, you kind of got to get up again and dust yourself off and decide what's important to you. So um, yes, it, service was something that I wanted to do for a long time, but it wasn't, wasn't an easy road all the way. I mean, it, it kind of makes it more admirable to know that it, 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 it wasn't a, it wasn't a lifetime movie where, oh, dad did it. And then his, 
his little girl grew up and did the same thing. It's all, it's, it's almost more satisfying uh, to hear that you persevered. It's more impressive that you uh, went through some things and, and just starting with that, going through the whole <laughs> getting under the weather, uh, super impressive to me. Um, and it's, it's, it, and it all, you know, it started with you before 9-11, but I, I think uh, 9 it sounds like 9-11 still uh, inspired you uh, because the way you talk, every story that you come across inspires you and you take something from it. Yeah, absolutely. I think 9-11 for me really changed my view in terms of service. I mean, I think when I graduated from the academy and even before, I mean, I, my goal was just, just to be a fighter pilot, right? I thought it would be cool. I liked the mission. It sounded fun. It sounded exciting. And then I really realized what this mission of flying in the A-10 and supporting our troops on the ground was all about. You know, I really connected with the mission and I found like my passion and my purpose was to support our troops on the ground. And I will tell you that I've had some of the most amazing moments and memories have been from people who reached out after Iraq and Afghanistan. I have a note um, that some guys, they came through our squadron and they wrote me a note because I wasn't there, I was flying, and just scribbled on a piece of paper and it said, you know, thanks for saving our ass over Baghdad today. You know, that, that makes a difference. Like that, that's why I lo absolutely loved what I've done in my time in service. And in fact, a few, um, maybe a week ago, I got a note um, on LinkedIn from a daughter of a service member who said, I've heard this story for years and I didn't really connect who it was. And then she saw a post about it and reached out and she said, you know, just thank you for helping my dad get home safely. I mean, and this was just recently. And I just thought, you know, that is, that's why I did it. That's exactly why I did it was to, to help our troops get home safely. Um, I miss flying the A-10. I miss it a ton, but I'm ready for life's next adventure as well. Well, it's amazing. Before I send it back to Mark, I don't have another question. I have a comment because my uh, two fellow hosts are awfully, often the nerdy ones here. But I'm going to say when I read, when I read, when I read about you, I was like, I'm going to talk to like a real life Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. It's <laughs> like, that's the thought that came into my head. Flying that thing manually, busting through the clouds, not knowing what was on the other side. Uh, and, and for me to admit a nerdy thing on screen like this is, uh, That's huge. High this is huge. This high is break. big time right now. This yeah. is, he was getting on me cause I'm wearing a star Wars shirt, but I don't have any other clean clothes left over here. So, all right. Well, Colonel Campbell, we very much appreciate you, uh, taking time out. It, uh, it is an amazing story. And, uh, I, I've always said if there's one school that you can get, if you can get into every school in the world, go to the Air Force Academy. I still think it's the best. But so thank you for all you do there. Thank you for whatever you're going to do in the future. I'm sure it'll be uh, impressive. So everyone else, remember to subscribe to the Tango Alpha Lima on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, review and rate us. If you want to send us feedback, you can leave a comment on YouTube or Facebook, or you can send us an email at Tango Alpha Lima at legion.org and we'll be back with another 9-11 story tomorrow again colonel campbell thank you so much jeff ashley i'll see you guys tomorrow bye thanks for having me